Our second passage today is coming from the book of Revelation in the New Testament. It's going to be chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. I invite you to either follow along in your personal Bible or a pew Bible or listen to the word as it is read. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father to be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Back in January of 2020, my family and I moved to a new home and a new neighborhood. And as with any move, there's a lot of effort to get things ready to uh, you know, put your house on the market and get it looking good. And then once you actually sell the home, then you have the task of boxing things up, moving them out, and then you're just mad at yourself on why did you save so much junk when you're clearing out that attic. And so we've all probably been there, you know, and then once you get everything boxed up, cleaned up and moved out, then you got to move in and get everything situated just right and figure out where you're going to hang the pictures in your new house and what things you need to buy extra to fill in the spaces. And I mean, when you get all that done, then you might want to do some painting and some updating, this and that. It's a lot going on. So we sold our house in January of 2020, moved into the new one in February of 2020, and then we all know what happened in March of 2020. COVID hit and changed our world even to this day. And what happened is everybody in those first few months, we remember we were stuck at home, most of us. Most of our jobs went remote. Schools went remote. Church went remote. So everybody was at home more than normal. There's no extracurricular activities, all of that. But moving into a new home, into a new neighborhood, really gives you the opportunity to meet your neighbors when everybody's stuck at home, right? And my neighborhood is one of the neighborhoods that you would probably see in a Hallmark movie. It's just very picturesque. It's got all ages that live in there, from singles to new couples to families to older adults. It's got them all. And it's also what you call a front yard neighborhood. Some neighborhoods are backyard neighborhoods where everybody stays in their home and plays in the backyard. Or some are front yard neighborhoods where everybody hangs out in the front yard and plays in the streets. Well, this is the, this neighborhood. And so because of COVID and everybody being home more, we really got to know our new neighbors really well. We got to know the ones that had little kids, and my kids became friends with them. Laura Beth and I got to know some of the adults in the neighborhood. But there's one individual that uh, is, is an older gentleman who's a Catholic priest who lives behind my house. He goes walking every now and then. And while we were outside, he would come by and stop by our house and we were outside and speak to me and learn that I was a minister and we'd talk about church a little bit. He'd always have candy. I think he buys out all the candy in Madison. He has candy for the kids and gives them all these chocolate bars and things of that nature, which I gladly take my 10% of and make sure it's still good. But anyway, so he's just a unique, nicer, older Catholic priest that's retired. And then one day he came over and he said, hey, I would have y'all over for pizza. And I was like, for pizza? I said, okay. Well, I, we didn't pick a date, and he came around the next week and asked him, hey, we need to schedule a date for pizza. We did this for a few weeks till we finally said, all right, on this day, we put it in the calendar. I'll come to your house with the kids, and we're going to have pizza. 
And, you know, I was just thinking, you know, cheese pizza on some paper plates and some Cokes, and that's call it done. Well, we get on over there, and we knock on his front door, and all the kids and I were just standing up there, and all of a sudden he opens the door, wearing his clergy collar and all that, and he says, oh, come right on in, guests, come right on in. And so we come right on in, and I thought we were just going to go sit down at the table. Well, no, in his living room he had a card table set up with actual glasses for drinks around there, and he had uh, cheese and crackers and chips and salsas and uh, shrimp with cocktail sauce and smoked salmon on there. I was like, he just laid out the spread in his living room. And I was like, wow. I was like, all right, kids, y'all be good. And please try to eat some of this. Obviously, he went to all this trouble. And so we all sat down and he said, oh, I've got some fancy drinks. He had some sparkling seltzers and all these fancy Cokes. And he put ice in these nice glasses and just filled it up for us. And we all just hung around the table and just talked, just talked. And I got to learn a little bit about him Coming from Ireland, he came to the Americas, he's Irish, and uh, you know, he has an interesting story. He's one of many siblings, and we really got to know each other really well, and then it came time for pizza, and I was like, all right, so then we changed rooms, then we went to the dining room and sat down, brought our fancy drinks and sat down, and I thought, like I said, cheese pizza. No, he had like supreme pizza, he had the ham pineapple pizza, all these fancy pizzas, and I was like, oh, I was like, y'all please eat this pizza, because he bought fancy pizza, so here we go, we eat, we talk some more around the table, and then I thought that was going to be it, nope, out comes the ice cream with praline sticks, and all these fancy things, and all these different flavors, and I was like, wow, he's just really doing it up, had nice ice cream, and then all right, I was like, surely we're going to be done. We've been here for almost two hours. And then, nope, he pulls out magic tricks for the kids. That's his thing. So here comes the magic tricks and all these things. And uh, anyway, we just had a grand time. We just had a grand time visiting with, with Father Mike and getting to know him and, and building our relationship in this new neighborhood. And now it is a routine thing that we go to Father Mike's in June for pizza. And we know what's exactly going to happen every time we go to Father Mike's for just what you think is pizza. But we built a relationship, you know, we built a relationship through those gatherings outside and through uh, pizza dinner times, and we just really built this good moment here. Because relationships in our lives, and we all have different relationships with people, and they all start in different ways, but relationships are important because people are important, People are important. And so today, as we go through our stewardship series on how things work in the church, we're looking at children's and youth ministries in particular, on children's Sabbath, with all these kids that we had singing up here and all the students that Jason was talking about. We're going to look at how these people are sacred people and how relationships with our younger generation is so incredibly important. And the church is so uh, it's going to be so important for the church as well, critical for the church as well, to be building those relationships, showing our children what Christ is all about. And so today we have two passages. We have two passages. The first passage from Numbers takes a look at the Levites as sacred people, as sacred people of God. Listen to this again. Numbers eight fourteen through 18, it reads, Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the other Israelites, and the Levites shall be mine. Thereafter the Levites may go in to do service at the tent of meeting, once you have cleansed them and presented them as an elevation offering. For they are unreservedly given to me among the Israelites. I've taken them for myself in place of all that the open womb, the firstborn of the Israelites." 
For all the firstborn among the Israelites are mine, both human and animal. And on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated them for myself. But I have taken the Levites in place of all the firstborn among the Israelites. And so here God is saying this tribe of Levi, these firstborn, I'm going to set them aside for a special purpose. We're going to lay hands on them. We're going to bless them and consecrate them. And then they are going to serve me in the tent of meeting. They're going to serve me in my sanctuary. They are important people, and they're going to connect my other people, my other Israelites, to me. They have a special job, a special task. They are sacred people. And then we fast forward from Numbers in the Old Testament about this Levite passage and these sacred people. Then we fast forward to Revelation, where you have John writing to these seven churches in Asia. And he says to them, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's through what Jesus Christ did being the first of the dead. He conquered sin on the cross. And so all that follow him are now priests serving the kingdom of God. We are all now important and sacred people. We are all God's people through Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation sometimes gets a bad rap. Preachers don't like to preach on it. People don't like to read it unless they want to find some apocalyptic literature in there that can find signs and symbols of today and connect the dots and think the whole world is going to come crashing down at any moment. It can be a scary book. It's a challenging book. But it's not a book of sadness. No. I think many people think it's a book of sadness because they say, oh, no, this world's going to go away. There's going to be so much turmoil. That's sad. It's actually a book of hope. It's a book of hope because once this earth passes through time, the new heaven will come through Jesus Christ, where there will be no more sin, where everything's back the way it should be. And that is something we need to look for and celebrate and be ready for. It is a message of hope. Revelation is not sadness, but for hope that there is something greater beyond what we have now on this earth, and that is because of Jesus Christ the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, who eventually be the ruler of the kings of the earth. He will rule the earth over all the kings. And we will all be made a priesthood serving him. And this is the message that I think we kind of forget. That there's a message of hope of us being priests serving God and he's going to do away with the old and come up with the new. This world out there, as Jason talked about in his stewardship moment, is a challenging, hard world for our young people. It is a challenging and hard world for them because of the access they have to so much out there. So much of the earthly messages come right to them in their hands on their devices. And as the church, we have to keep up. We have to challenge that. We have to teach our adolescents, our kids, that there's something better out there than what you see on your phone that what the world tells you you are is not right. You are God's children. You are sacred people. You are worthy. You are important. And you have so much you need to learn. And it's our job as the church to teach them to be involved in our kids' lives. Even if they're not your biological children, you can still build that relationship 
Just as Father Mike built the relationship with my family and my kids, we can do that as the church with the children that we have. Jason's correct. We have to have at least five to seven people involved in these kids' life, a faith-based person. That's what they need. Think back to when you were younger and you were in church. Who impacted you? Who has influenced your faith? Who is part of your faith journey to the reason why you're sitting here this morning instead of at home? And imagine if that person never existed, never poured into you. What would have happened? You see, our kids need you to be that person that teaches them that they are worthy, that they need to be part of a church community so as when they get older, they can be in your shoes sitting here with their job then pouring into the next generation. You see, we can't do our ministries with our children and youth by ourselves. I talked about it in Intersection on the first Sunday of stewardship. You're going to need over 100 volunteers to do a children's and youth ministry of our size. Just think of Vacation Bible School. If any of y'all been involved with that, it takes an army of volunteers to make sure Vacation Bible School happens for about 150 kids. It just doesn't happen on its own, and it can't happen without you. Our student ministry needs chaperones on these retreats. There's nothing like the experience of being a chaperone of a middle school retreat. I can tell you that. <laughs> All right? It's a very growing process. So we need volunteers. We need small group leaders. We need Sunday school teachers. We need each and every one of you pouring into our kids. And each kid needs five to seven of you doing that. It takes the church, y'all. It takes you. My kids need you. Your kids need other people. That's how it's supposed to be. And we see that message of hope and encouragement from John's letter here in Revelation, encouraging us to be those priests serving God the Father, bringing glory to him forever and ever. This stewardship season is a time of reflection, church. It's a time for us to see, are we giving our best God wants our best. He wants your best financial commitments. He wants your best commitments of your time and your talents and your presence and your prayers. He wants the best. Whatever that looks like for you, whatever your best is. As Jesus pointed out, as he was watching people give money at the temple, the little old lady that gave all that she had was not monetarily that much, but it was all that she had. And that's where he pointed out that's a faithful disciple because she gave it all. And so I encourage you and challenge you as I do myself. Are we doing what we can for our church and our kids? And if we're not, we need to start doing it. We need to start volunteering for children's ministry. We need to start volunteering for our student ministry. We need to start giving monetarily because these things also need money to happen. It's just the way of the world. It's expensive to take these kids to Lake Junalaska. But it's so incredibly important, too. It's expensive to have a vacation Bible school, but it's so incredibly important. And so what I challenge each and every one of you to do this week is to think about these kids you saw singing. You see these teenagers walking around. That's the future of our church. Think about them this week and pray for them because it is a different world for them than it was for you and it was for me growing up. But also pray and discern how you can give your best for these kids in this church.
however that looks. Because as you know, as it says here, we are all God's people. We are all sacred and worthy of his love and grace. And we need to share that with the world. Let us pray.